Welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show, one of the top five GDPR podcasts worldwide. Here is what's coming up in this week's episode. Welcome to episode 127 of the GDPR Weekly Show. And coming up this week, we have an updated guide on working at home during the lockdown and GDPR implications. We then have an update on GDPR after Brexit. And we then have news that Capital Business Media has moved to Dublin as it foresees difficulties in data transfers between the UK and the EU after the grace period of the four months which we have now runs out. Then we have news that Leave.eu has moved to Ireland and there are calls for Leave.eu to be investigated for GDPR breaches. And we then travel to Brussels where the Advocate General for the Court of Justice in the European Union has given a pronouncement on the Facebook case brought by the Belgian DPA and his pronouncement may have widespread implications across Europe. We then look more generally at GDPR and have some reminders for you on when it is safe to use so-called soft opt-in rather than distinct consent. And we then travel to New York where there has been a data breach at the United Nations. We then travel to Germany, where a German laptop retailer has been found guilty of GDPR breaches for excessive video surveillance of its staff and customers. And we then travel to America, to Colorado, where there has been a data breach of ID 19 details. And then finally this week, we have news here in the UK of a data breach affecting the police national computer record system. So we hope you find this week's articles useful and informative. And as always, if you have any feedback for us, please do email us at feedback at gdprweeklyshow.com. We do read every single piece of feedback we receive, and wherever possible, we implement your suggestions into the show. But unfortunately, due to the volume of feedback we receive, it's not always possible for us to respond to each piece of feedback individually. Stay home, stay safe. With more people working at home again due to the nationwide lockdown, We thought it was worth spending just a few moments talking about things you need to do when working from home to ensure that both for you and the organisation you work for, you are remaining GDPR compliant. First thing is, ideally, and we would strongly recommend this, that each person is provided with a work laptop or other device and not encouraged to use their home devices because that opens up all sorts of security loopholes. So make sure you have a work device, if at all possible, and use that device only to access work-related documents and emails and any internal systems that you may have. The approved computers that are supplied to staff should be password-protected and storage on them should be encrypted. Laptops, desktops or tablets should have the most up-to-date antivirus and anti-malware software, and it's important to ensure that when your employees are working at home, that they are installing the updates to keep those up to date to avoid them being targeted by hackers. You should discourage employees from downloading emails onto their personal devices to conduct work-related tasks, as if this confidential information is accessed wrongly, it could lead to a GDPR breach. And finally, and this point's often overlooked, is At the end of the day, encourage your employees to, if they at all can, lock the laptop away somewhere so that should they be unfortunate enough to suffer someone entering their home overnight, that that person doesn't grab the work laptop and go off with it. 
The second issue with staff working at home is not to forget your obligation to ensure that all your staff have up-to-date GDPR training. We as an organisation are very conscious that lots of our clients had training back in 2018 before GDPR came in, but actually haven't asked for any training since. And it really is time to have your GDPR training updated because things have changed both in the way we work and in legislation, as we mentioned last week, largely thanks to Brexit. But also, you'll like to have staff who may have joined you since the 25th of May 2018 who haven't had your GDPR training at all. They might have read the procedures, but they haven't been trained. And so we would encourage anyone listening to this who's in that scenario where they need training to get in touch with us via the contact details that are coming up at the end of this article, and we'd be delighted to get some training in place for you. It doesn't have to be expensive, but it is a very useful tool to ensuring that your staff are kept up to date. The third thing to say when staff are working at home is to make sure that they take care with anything they printed out. When they're in the office, it's likely that you'll have confidential waste bins to dispose of anything with confidential data on it. But this probably won't be the case with staff working from home. Printing anything from meeting agendas to expense forms, CVs and internal documents could put you at risk of breaching GDPR regulations. Businesses should consider how they can work with their existing confidential waste management companies to support the correct disposal of these items with products such as mini threaders and remote collection both being now being available. And it's important if you provide your staff with threaders to use at home that they are the modern cross-cut threaders that produce paper like confetti and not the old-style spaghetti strip threaders as those aren't adequate as far as GDPR is concerned. You should make yourself aware that downloading documents on, or files online comes with a range of risks. Firstly, the website you're downloading from may not be secure, meaning hackers could gain access to your network and in turn the confidential information on that network. And secondly, downloading files directly to your laptop or desktop means that information is then stored there. So if the laptop or desktop is stolen or lost or damaged, the download disappears and so too does the information. And that, of course, would give you a data breach. Then you need to look at how the laptops being used at home are communicating with your central system. We would strongly recommend the implementation of a virtual private network, a VPN. It's not that difficult to set up. If you need help setting up a VPN, again, contact us using the details at the end of this article. And finally, remind your staff that if they are working at home and they're sharing that space with others, they should try and make sure that their screen is not clearly visible to those around them. And also, if you don't hold conversations involving confidential information, then to try and do that in a room on their own and not with other members of the family or other members of their household within earshot. So just half a dozen simple rules, but they will help keep your home working staff fully GDPR compliant. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800 808 5312. If you listened to last week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, you'll know that we spent some time talking about the new rules now that the transition period for Brexit has come to an end. Judging from the number of calls to our help desk this week, we know that this is something that's still causing concern, so we thought we'd just re-emphasise briefly a few things that you need to be covering. The main thing is to look at your documentation, and that's two main areas of your documentation. One is your privacy policy, and the second is carrying out a data protection impact assessment to judge what effect the new rules since the 1st of January will have on your transfer of data 
Has it increased the risk? Has it decreased the risk? Is the risk the same? It really doesn't matter what the outcome is, but it is important that you carry out a data protection impact assessment to judge what the outcome is, and also then decide what actions you may need to take to ensure that any risk to the data is minimised. In terms of the privacy notice, you need to add some extra wording into it. You need to point out that the UK is no longer an EU member state. You need to point out that it's now governed under UK GDPR and not just GDPR. You need to point out that transfers to the UK from the EEA are restricted transfers and we require a safeguarding mechanism. And also, as we mentioned last week, if you supply customers in the EU but you don't have a physical place of business in the EU, then we would strongly recommend that you appoint an EU agent, an EU GDPR agent, because if you don't do that, then you could find yourself falling under separate penalties from each country in which you have customers, should you be unfortunate enough to have a breach of GDPR. And so instead of 4% of your annual turnover, you could find you're facing a penalty that's closer to half your annual turnover. And that could, particularly in today's climate, finish a lot of businesses off. So it's very important you pay attention to this. And as we mentioned last week, we have a capability now to establish a European GDPR agent for you. It's relatively low cost. We take care of all the paperwork and everything else that needs to happen. And it just keeps all of your data transfers to and from the EU within the realms of the legislation. We would strongly advise you to take action on this, particularly the wording of your privacy policy. While we're talking about UK GDPR and good old GDPR, the one that we've been used to since May 2018, it is worth pointing out something which has become clear this week, which is that any data which you collected between the 25th of May 2018, or indeed prior to that, and the 31st of December 2020, or to be more precisely 11pm GMT, on the 31st of December 2020, all of that data stays under EU GDPR. It's only new data collected since 11pm on the 31st of December, which falls under UK GDPR. So please don't be under the misapprehension of thinking that because UK GDPR now applies, we don't have to worry about EU GDPR anymore. We do, because EU GDPR still applies to, as we said, to any data prior to 11pm on the 31st of December. And if you need any help with the privacy policy or the data protection impact assessment or appointing a European agent, again, please contact us using the contact details which are coming up right now. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800 808 5312. As a result of Brexit, Capital Business Media, which is a full-service media company which owns and publishes Business Matters Fund Manager Today, Travelling for Business, EV Powered, Not Limited, Stay and Improve and Property Portfolio Investor, together with publications produced under licence for Aston Martin Legonda and the Infinity Motor Corporation, have made the decision to relocate its UK content marketing and SEO division to Ireland. The group, which also has offices in London and New York, will now deal with all content marketing SEO needs through a new Irish company, Inscriptio. The decision to relocate the division to Ireland was made to ensure that there are no compliance and GDPR issues in line with the UK not being covered by EU GDPR. The company took the view that at the end of the current four-month grace period, 
There is a possibility that the firm's ability to send emails to the subscribers for each of its six magazines and its online titles, as well as to a panel of its business research division, would be jeopardised. As a company, Capital Business Media has one of the largest databases of small and medium-sized businesses and their senior management. It's based both in the UK and across the EEA. Commenting on the decision, Group Managing Director Richard Elvin said, During 2020, we saw a 200% increase in demand within our content, dedicated content marketing as a result of the rapid digital growth of business. With so many concerns surrounding Brexit possibly threatening the day-to-day operation of this division within the UK, we knew in order to sustain the growth and continue offering our services, we needed to launch the division as a separate firm outside of the UK. It was a very clear decision considering the planned expansion of the company and we knew that having a dedicated office based in Ireland would not only ensure our compliance but also open up opportunities for continued growth. It is understood that the new Irish company Ascriptio will be based in Dublin. It has launched with four employees who transferred from the company's London division with a recruitment process commencing for an additional four employees all of whom will work from their homes both in the UK and Ireland. In Scriptio clients, we include the UK's Government Business and Energy and Industrial Strategy, telecommunication companies O2 and Vodafone, as well as hundreds of UK and Europe-based small and medium-sized businesses. If you're listening to this in the UK or Ireland, you might be aware that the Brexit lobbying group Leave.eu took the decision this week to move from the UK to the Republic of Ireland, in part to retain the .eu suffix on their domain name which also forms part of the organisation name so they were really keen to keep it understandably. However now a Fina Gael politician has warned that the Brexit lobbying group Leave.eu may be breaking data protection rules ever since it moved to the Republic of Ireland. Neil Richmond, the Fina Gael representative for Dublin Rathdown, has written to the EU's domain registry, EURID, and his own country's data protection commissioner, querying if Leave.eu was GDPR compliant. Leave.eu moved its registration address to Waterford in Ireland in order to keep its .eu suffix after thousands of domains in the UK were suspended due to Brexit. Leave.eu is the campaign body funded by British businessman Aaron Banks and supported by Nigel Farage. Richmond referred the group to Tom Bedge in Ireland and UID to see if they were legally eligible for a .eu domain name. Given that Leave.eu maintain great swathes of personal information about their supporters and other persons, it must be ascertained if they are doing this in accordance with the EU law following their relocation of convenience from the UK to Waterford, the Irish politician said. He pointed out that Leave.eu has previously been fined £60,000 for data breaches in the UK. In order to be GDPR compliant, Leave.eu would need to identify a lead supervisory authority for data protection and would have to move under the jurisdiction of the Data Protection Commissioner and by extension the Data Protection Board. If we receive any update on this, either from the Irish Data Protection Authority or from Leave.eu, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Stay home, stay safe. A decision by Advocate General Michael Bobeck of the Court of Justice of the European Union, the CJEU, on January 13, 2021, in the case of Facebook Ireland Limited, Facebook Inc. and Facebook Belgium, BBVA, versus the Belgian Data Protection Authority, could have ramifications not just for Facebook right across Europe, but for other companies with offices right across Europe too. To give a bit of background to this, the Belgian DPA 
initiated judicial proceedings against several members of the Facebook group before the Belgian talks in September 2015. So bear in mind this is before GDPR. The Belgian DPA requested that the court order Facebook to stop placing cookies on internet users' devices without their consent and stop collecting data in an allegedly excessive manner when they browse a web page in the facebook.com domain or on third-party websites, including via Facebook social plugins and pixels. The proceedings, which are currently still in progress before the Court of Appeal of Brussels, were limited to Facebook Belgium, BVBA, after the Court of Appeal of Brussels previously established that it had no jurisdiction over Facebook Inc. and Facebook Ireland Limited. Facebook has asserted that with the introduction of GDPR in May 2018, the Belgian DPA did not have competence to continue judicial proceedings for infringements of GDPR in relation to cross-border data processing. According to Facebook, the competent DPA in this case is the DPA of Facebook's main establishments in the EU, being the Irish DPA, and regulators will know that we've a number of times referred to the investigations into Facebook-related companies which are still ongoing with the Irish Data Protection Commission. Against this background, the Court of Appeal of Brussels referred a number of questions to the Court of Justice of the European Union, aimed at clarifying whether the GDPR's one-stop shop regime prevented a national data protection authority, other than the lead data protection authority, from initiating court proceedings in its member state against infringements of the GDPR with respect to cross-border data processing. In his opinion, the Advocate General addresses several points. Firstly, based on GDPR, the lead DPA has general competence over cross-border data processing, including competence to commence judicial proceedings for infringements of the GDPR. Concerned DPAs have a more limited power to act in that regard. While any DPA has the power to commence proceedings against possible infringements affecting their territories, this power is limited with respect to cross-border data processing to enable the lead DPA to exercise its regulatory role in this regard. The goal of GDPR's one-stop-shop mechanism was to address the shortcomings of the Data Protection Directive, which required companies to comply with various sets of national rules and to liaise with the DPAs of all EU member states. Indeed, this was one of the core reasons for bringing in GDPR in the first place. The previous regime was costly, burdensome and time-consuming and risked individual DPAs taking different approaches with regard to cross-border data processing activities. According to the Advocate General, a textual, theological and historical approach to the interpretation of GDPR confirms that DPAs are bound to follow the rules on competence and the cooperation and consistency mechanisms set out in GDPR. As to the arguments relating to the data subject's access to court, the Advocate General notes that data subjects can bring proceedings directly against controllers or processors before the courts of the member state in which they reside. They can also lodge a complaint before the DPA of their member state, even if the lead DPA is located in another member state. The Advocate General emphasises that the lead DPA cannot be deemed to be the sole enforcer of GDPR in cross-border situations and must closely cooperate with other concerned DPAs in accordance with the relevant rules set out in GDPR. The Advocate General finally indicates that national DPAs that do not act as the lead DPA can nonetheless bring proceedings before their national courts where they are either acting outside of the material scope of GDPR, for example, to the processing does not involve personal data, or they're investigating cross-border data processing carried out by public authorities in the public interest and in the exercise of the official authority or by controllers not established in the EU, or that they're adopting urgent measures in situations envisaged by Article 66 of GDPR, or that they're intervening following the decision of the lead DPA not to handle a case. 
Effectively, the Advocate General's view is that GDPR does not include a general bar for other DPAs to start proceedings against potential infringement of data protection rules within courts in their own country. The Court of Justice of the European Union will now begin its deliberation and its final judgment is expected before the end of 2021. It's important to realise that the Advocate General's opinion is not legally binding upon the Court. That said, it is unusual for the Court to rule against the Advocate General's opinion. But we won't know until later in 2021. And even then, it will still be open to Facebook to take the whole issue back to the Belgian Court of Appeal. So it looks like this ruling is one that's going to continue to rumble on right through 2021. So we're now six years into this case and we're still only hesitantly heading towards a judgment. But we will continue to keep you regularly updated on this case during 2021 right here on the GDPR Weekly Show. What's up, Mike? I'm fed up. I wish I had a new job. Have you tried Jubal? Jubal Jubal.org. We help people find jobs. Great. I'll try it now. The ICO's decision to take enforcement action against a number of organisations, both in the form of investigations and fines, for sending unsolicited email and text-based electronic marketing communications to individuals should serve to prompt organisations to make sure that they are not putting overdue reliance on soft opt-in. In order to avoid complaints from individuals and enforcement action from the ICO, organisations seeking to rely on soft opt-in should ensure that they only target individuals with whom they have a pre-existing relationship, only target individuals who have either previously purchased or shown a genuine interest in a product or service, only send marketing communications about products and services that are generally similar in nature to those that the individual has previously purchased or shown a general interest in purchasing, notify such individuals in advance of their intention to send them marketing communications about similar products and services, and always provide such individuals with an opportunity to opt out of receiving these electronic marketing materials. Just a reminder that where a company wishes to send marketing communications to individuals, obtaining consent or relying on a legitimate interest condition are likely to be the most appropriate legal basis for the purposes of Article 6 of GDPR. Bear in mind that organisations in the UK also need to observe the requirements of the Privacy and Electronic Communications Regulations, PECA, in relation to electronic marketing communications. PECA was implemented in 2003 and sits alongside the UK GDPR. Under PECA, a company must not send electronic marketing communications by email or text unless the individual is given their explicit consent to receive such communications or the organisation to rely on soft opt-in consent. It's important as well to remember that consent is required for different types of electronic marketing. So just because someone agrees to receive emails from you does not mean you automatically have a right to send SMS messages to them. You need to make that clear when they're giving their consent that that's what you might do. Or if you're using soft opt-in, i.e. you're relying on the fact that someone's bought from you previously, then somewhere in your order process you must make clear what forms of communication you might use to communicate with them in the future. So, just a few things to consider about soft opt-in consent. Let's look first at marketing to your pre-existing customers. It's important if you're relying on soft opt-in with existing customers that it was made clear to them during their purchase process that you would contact them afterwards with further marketing materials. So, somewhere during your sales process, somewhere in the stage of your checkout and hopefully towards the final stage of your checkout, it should display a message telling them either to refer to your privacy policy and or pointing out that you will rely on soft opt-in to send them further marketing communications. 
The second important thing is that the new material that you market to them must have a similarity with what they've already purchased. So to take an example, if someone buys an iPhone from you, that then does not give you soft opt-in consent to send the marketing material about trampolines. It would give you soft opt-in consent to send them information about iPhone cases or iPhone screen protectors. Similarly, if someone's made an inquiry to you about a product, you can market to them about similar products. But what wouldn't be acceptable, to take an example, is if someone inquires via your website about employment opportunities with your company, and in return for them giving questions to you about employment opportunities, you then choose to bombard them with marketing about all the products that you produce or sell. That's just not allowed under soft opt-in. So you can still use soft opt-in, and that applies still under UK GDPR and PECA, but do make sure that what you're sending is what someone could reasonably expect to receive. And the general rule that I always put to our clients in this is imagine you were the person who's bought something from your company and now you receive that piece of marketing, maybe, I don't know, six months afterwards. Would you reasonably expect to receive that information? If the answer to that is yes, then you probably can safely rely on soft opt-in. If the answer to that is no or I'm not sure, then you really shouldn't send it unless you've got explicit consent from the end user to send that information to them. As always, if you have any questions about things like this, please feel free to email us at helpdesk.gdprweeklyshow.com and we'll be very pleased to get an answer back to you. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. To New York now. And researchers have uncovered vulnerabilities in the United Nations Environmental Programme computer systems that could have exposed 100,000 personal data records. According to a report by ethical hacking company Secura Samurai, which looks at UN network strength, they obtained this data in less than 24 hours. By identifying an endpoint that exposed DIT credentials, the, the researchers used the credentials to download DIT repositories and identify data and personally identifiable information. In total, we identified over 100,000 private employee records. We also discovered multiple exposed .dit directories on UN-owned web servers. The .dit contents could have been exfiltrated with various tools such as DIT Dumper, said researchers. It's understood that amongst the data was travel and employee data, Records contained employee IDs, names, employee groups, travel justifications, start and end dates, approval status, destination and length of stay. Researchers also found human resources data such as nationality, gender, pay grade on thousands of employees. In total, we found seven additional credential pairs which could have resulted in unauthorized access of multiple databases. We decided to stop and report this vulnerability once we were able to access personally identifiable information that was exposed by our database backups in the private projects, the researchers said. We have not received any official comment yet from the United Nations, but if we do, we will of course bring it to you in the next available episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. The State Commissioner for Data Protection, LFD, in Lower Saxony, in Germany, has said that notebooksbilliger.de, MBB's, constant surveillance was inadmissible under GDPR. It imposed a fine of 10.4 million euros against the company for video monitoring employees for at least two years without any legal basis. 
According to the regulator, the cameras recorded employees in workplaces, salesrooms, warehouses and common areas. MBB claimed the aim was to prevent and investigate criminal offences and to track the flow of goods in warehouses. However, in order to prevent theft, a company must first use milder methods such as random bad checks when employees leave the premises. Moreover, the LFD said video surveillance is only lawful if there's a justified suspicion against specific persons and even then video monitoring should only be used for a limited time. The data authority found that MBB's video surveillance was neither limited in time or to specific employees. The recordings were saved for 60 days in many cases. Customers were also filmed in seating areas without their knowledge or consent. The regulator said the allegedly deterrent effect of video surveillance which is repeatedly put forward does not justify a permanent and unprovoked interference with the personal rights of employees. In a statement, Barbara Thiel, head of LFD Lower Saxony, said we are dealing with a serious case of video surveillance in the company. Companies must understand that with such intensive video surveillance they are massively violating the rights of their employees. Theo added that video surveillance is a particularly intensive encroachment on personal rights because it can pressurise employees to behave as inconspicuously as possible in order not to be criticised or sanctioned for deviating behaviour. Employees do not have to give up their personal rights just because their employer puts them under general suspicion, she said. The company has announced that it intends to appeal against the decision. In a statement, CEO Oliver Helmold said, the fine is completely disproportionate. It bears no relation to the size of financial strength of the company or to the seriousness of the alleged violation. We consider the decision to be unlawful and we demand that it be repealed. If we get any update on this appeal, we will, of course, bring it to you in a future episode of the GDPR Show. To America now, and specifically Colorado, where Colorado-based Pitkin County officials began notifying individuals on January 14th that some of their private information related to COVID-19 cases was exposed on the internet between October and December 2020. On December 14, 2020, Pitkin County discovered potential unauthorised access to a file containing information on COVID-19 case investigations and contact tracing. Officials investigated the incident and found that the file was inadvertently accessible via the internet between October 1st and December 14th. Pitkin County immediately took steps to cut access to the case files from the internet and is in the process of reporting the data breach to state and federal regulators. It's understood that information exposed in the breach varied by individual but included names, addresses, dates of birth, employer and or school names and underlying health conditions. The affected file did not contain any social security or financial information. Officials are offering any affected individuals free access to 12 months of credit monitoring and identity restoration services. Stay home, stay safe. And finally this week, we return to the UK and news that more than 400,000 crime records could have been affected by a data blunder, with records for serious offences supposed to be kept forever accidentally deleted, and police fearing criminals may now not be caught. The records were accidentally deleted due to a coding error on the 10th of January, and the incident affects fingerprints, DNA records and arrest records on the Police National Computer PNC system. It's understood that the records related to serious offences meant to be kept indefinitely, and police have already suffered what they term as near misses for serious crimes. Police leaders are also convinced that the chaos may cause them to hold data that they should have legally deleted. Pressure is mounting on the Home Secretary, Priti Patel, to give a full account of the blunder affecting the PNC, which is run by the Home Office. A letter sent to senior officials on the National Police Chiefs Council, MPCC, on Friday from Deputy Chief Constable Navid Malik, lead for the organisation on the PNC, outlines the scale of records affected. 
In PNC, approximately 213,000 offence records, 175,000 arrest records and 15,000 person records have been potentially deleted in error. In terms of understanding the potential linkage between records, a one-person record can have multiple arrest records and one arrest record can have multiple offences linked to it. The DNA database is connected to the PNC and has also been hit. It says... Approximately 26,000 DNA records corresponding to 21,710 suspects have potentially been deleted in error, including records that have previously marked for indefinite retention following conviction for serious offences. Technicians are scrambling to recover tens of thousands of fingerprint records, and it's understood that 30,000 fingerprint records and 600 subject records have potentially been deleted in error. Malik wrote in the letter to police chiefs, as the National DNA Database and the National Fingerprint Collection currently contain incomplete sets of biometric records, there is a possibility that biometric matches between crime scenes and offenders may not be identified. The letter goes on to say, We are aware of a couple of instances of near misses of serious crimes where a biometric match to an offender was not generated as expected, but the offender was identified through matches between scenes. However, in these circumstances, without a direct match report to the subject, it may be more challenging for police to progress to an interview or arrest. We are also aware of at least one instance where the DNA profile from a suspect in custody did not generate a match to a crime scene as expected, potentially impeding the investigation of that individual's involvement in the crime. The Home Office said it was working with police to assess the impact of the error, which reportedly occurred by accident during a weekly weeding exercise to expunge data. The Policing Minister, Kit Malthouse, said the PNC was a large database of information that requires maintenance, adding... Unfortunately, down to human error, some defective code was introduced as part of that routine maintenance earlier this week, and that's resulted in the deletion of some records, and that's currently under investigation. We're now working very quickly with our police partners and within the Home Office to try and recover the data and assess the full extent of the problem. Although officials are not entirely sure as yet whether the problem has had an operational impact on the police, contingency plans have been put in place to ensure investigations can continue. The Shadow Home Secretary, Nick Thomas-Simmons, has called on Pretty Patel to make an urgent statement to the Commons, saying it's not good enough for the Home Secretary to hide behind a junior minister on this when there's such a major security breach on her watch. It's now vital that she makes an urgent statement outlining the true state of the issue when ministers were informed and what the plan is to provide public reassurance. It's understood that the deletion has also caused chaos with the visa process. Applications which are checked against the Police National Computer were suspended for two days, but have now resumed. We expect to have an update on this during the next week, so we will update you on the status of this data breach in next week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. Contact us on helpdesk at gdprweeklyshow.com or phone us on 0800-808-5312. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurance production. Until next time, bye-bye.